0: In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Oh, well, good morning. Some years ago, I was with the altar guild chair at my old church, St. Stephen's in Richmond. This chair's name was Fern Newsome. And one thing I loved about Fern is that when I first came, she sat me down and said something like this. Look, I've seen a lot of clergy come and go. I've seen rectors come and go. I've seen young clergy like you right out of seminary come and go. I've set a table for many a wedding and a funeral, Easters and Christmases in this place. And if there's one thing that you remember from your time in this place, I hope you remember this. It was almost as if she was channeling Isaiah. She said, There's no such perfection in worship. There's no perfection in it. That's the same with my life and yours. Don't worry about being perfect in worship, but pay attention to what we do so that you can point people to a transformed life for the rest of the week, for the rest of our days. For what we do when we leave this place is what matters. That's why we honor what we do here. But you don't have to be perfect. And we're gonna make mistakes, and we will do this in prayer and in praise together. Well, Fern's words, especially when I hear from Isaiah the prophet, are comforting, at least to me when I think about that pressure, almost, to want to be perfect, not just in worship, but in any other area of my life. No matter how perfectly we do everything here, within our own selves, if we don't take that love back into the world, our worship, says the prophet, does not matter. No matter how earnestly we hold our hands out to receive the host, or how devotedly we light a candle at the icon of a shrine, no matter how well we follow along with the chanting or singing of a psalm, or how well we remember to cross ourselves or bow and kneel, if all that we feel and hope and pray and do in here doesn't move our bodies outside of this place when we leave toward a life of love, then it was all for naught. I think uh, we make a mistake if we believe that what we're doing in here is the point. And by that I mean the source and summit of our life in the Holy Eucharist and listening to the word. It's not the point in and of itself. It's to live more of a life outstretched each day of the week. It's easy to say. I think it's easy to think, but it's so hard to do. There was a great bishop of about a hundred years ago named Frank Weston that I really admire. And he once spoke to a group of Anglo-Catholics. That's our brethren in the Episcopal Church who make what we do here look like a Baptist convention. You know, they lift up monstrances. They have tabernacles. They venerate the Holy Sacrament. There's nothing wrong with it, of course. But I think what Bishop Weston wanted to impart... And this place, Zanzibar, where he was bishop, was a simple truth we hear in Isaiah. He said this, I say to you with all earnestness that I have, that if you are prepared to fight for the right of adoring adoring Jesus in the blessed sacrament, then you have got to come out from before your tabernacle and walk. Walk with Christ mystically present in you, out into the streets of this country, and of every town, and of every village. You cannot claim to worship Jesus in the tabernacle if you do not pity Jesus in the slum. And he went on to say this, you've got your mass, you've got your altar, you've begun to get your tabernacle. Now go out into the highways and the hedges where not even bishops will try to hinder you. Go out and look for Jesus in the ragged, and the naked, and in the oppressed places, especially in those who have lost hope and in those who are struggling to make good. Look for Jesus, and when you see him, gird yourselves with his towel and try to wash their feet." Isaiah shares this sobering truth with us. Nice prayers and fasts and nice services are not what God wants, at least not as an ending. Third Isaiah, from which today's reading is taken, is all about a people who'd been held captive in Babylon. And in Third Isaiah, their hopes had been dashed. They expected God to fix all of their problems for them as if God was a magician and they didn't have a part to play. They they complained that their nation had not become great again, that their nation had not been restored to its former glory. I think all nations go through this when they've been down on their luck and they wish to become great. But notice what Isaiah says about who God is and the great I am in the midst of a nation and of a people. God answers their questions with thunderous clarity. Look, God says, you serve your own interest on your fast day. You oppress all your workers. Look, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to strike with a wicked fist. Such fasting as you do today will not make your voice heard on high. Maybe they were sincere in their worship and in their fasting, but God saw through their empty piety and names this sin or this missing of the mark that was underneath of it. They were caught up in what they want and in what religion could do for them and in what God could do for them, and they neglected to ask a fundamental question. What does a God of justice want? And what does a God of love want for us? What pleases God, according to the prophet, is that we do justice. You know, doing the work of justice, if you asked a civil rights leader, it would differ from someone who lives maybe in our village and does the daily slow work of the church, I call it, or the work of justice but I think they have something in common. It's looking out and loving the other so that the other does not fall behind. I want to share a story about a person that many of us love, Ruth Hooper, who's on our prayer list today. Ruth has stage four cancer. She's been struggling at home for some time. Throughout the pandemic, many, especially from grace, have been feeding her whole family. But things have been getting worse for Ruth. And recently, just a few days ago, some friends of Grace launched a GoFundMe. How many of you are aware of what GoFundMe is? Do you know what that is? It's the most common way people pay for their medical bills in this country now if they don't have insurance. And so it is for Ruth. And what the people of our village have done is the work of Isaiah. They have gotten together And online and in person decided, no one in the plains gets left behind. It's the beauty of our village. We're small enough to know each other. And now over $10,000 has been raised. And over 70 donors have given. And it just keeps going. And the stories being shared about Ruth, who helped people with their packages and their mail, things that got lost over every year, paying it back with these simple donations and calls to Ruth's house. This, again, may seem like a small thing to you, but truly, for me at least, it's the work of justice, the idea that in our village and our church, no one is left behind. The same thing was launched this weekend for my friend and many of your friends, Erica Young, who's the director of our Plains Community League, Erica had run into medical bills before Christmas and had fallen behind and behind. So what did her neighbor do? Her neighbor launched a GoFundMe and started calling up friends and saying, we don't have to let Erica get behind. Erica has loved us through this community league and this tutoring program, and she's our neighbor. That's not what we do in the Plains. And so the work for Erica continues, the work of justice and of listening to the great I am in our midst. Yes, it says in the scripture, these are our own kin. We are our brother's keeper. And God says this in Isaiah, to loose the bonds of injustice, to undo the thongs of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house, When you see the naked, cover them. And not to hide yourself from your own kin. Not to hide, but to be present. There's a great story from years ago in Seattle of the Special Olympics, where there was a runner, one out of nine, who got to the blocks with all the others. And when that race began, the other eight took off and were running their race but the young boy, the first of of the eight, stumbled and fell on the asphalt. And as some of uh, the race runners got down the lane, they began to stop. And they didn't just stop, they listened. And they didn't just listen, they noticed that one of their competitors had fallen behind. So what did they do? All of them together joined hands and went back to this young boy, and a little girl with Down syndrome said this, Here let me kiss your knee and make it all better. No, this wasn't a great civil rights leader stepping in to the breach. It was a young woman with Down syndrome stepping in to repair a breach. She knew something of the God that is the great I am in Isaiah. We are all shoulder to shoulder with our loving God, and we're all kin, and until all of us make it, no one can really make it, no one can be free. Everyone in the stadium stood and they cheered for many minutes and they clapped because this was not what we're used to. We're used to a life of a dog-eat-dog competition. But that's not what the text is telling us about God. And it's not about what Jesus tells us about salt and light in the world, breaking open the glass each day of the week and being salty people for Ruth and for Erica and for race runners and those who are falling behind. We receive epiphanies when together we loose these kinds of chains that bind so many when we stop to notice someone who's fallen behind, and when we notice someone who's new, who dwells in our home, in our village, or wherever we come from, to act on their behalf isn't just a priority. It's not, just an, a- it's not an afterthought. It's our main mission. Be merciful as God is merciful, Jesus reminds us. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. Righteousness seek justice and pursue peace. This is the way to find God. It's the way to discover a light that lightens the nations and a great glory that's already given and whose first name is love, amen.